cryptos are something about when you're a character, especially in front of the camera, there's a real disconnection that almost happens. Yeah. And you just kind of, I mean, you're, I'm nervous, but it's not, but when you're yourself and you Ooh. know it's live TV and, <sighs> and you're, you have, you want to be funny and you want to be seen a certain way and you want to make sure you talk about the thing you're promoting, man, you get in your head. And so that's, I think that was probably something. And everybody's I've watching you. And everybody's watching you. And, and there's many times you'll be <laughs> like, I did one yesterday and, you're on the couch and all of a sudden you you're talking and you just leave your body almost and watch your lips moving. And it's like, <laughs> Oh my God, what are you saying? Like, stop talking. Welcome to No Small Thing, a podcast dedicated to helping you live a less certain and more curious life. I'm Macy, normally joined by Scott, who will be here later in the episode. Welcome to No Small Thing. This week, we have an exciting conversation for y'all. So typically, it's Scott and I having a curious conversation about a topic that's no small thing, because nothing is too small to have a conversation about. This week, we had a really special opportunity to get an interview with Tony Hale, as in Tony Hale, star of Veep and in Arrested Development and in a ton of other things, Emmy-nominated actor, awesome person. So we wanted to share that with you because that's no small thing. His life is no small thing. Who he is is no small thing. So that is going to be our episode today. And it's a conversation between Scott and Tony because Scott is legit pals with Tony. Scott lived in Pasadena for a year, finishing up his master's at Fuller Seminary. And in that year, his daughter became friends with Tony's kid and they became like family friends. And so Scott is down in L.A. staying with Tony and we thought, we had to get a nice conversation on tape so you all could hear a bit from Tony. So that's what this episode is going to be, a conversation between Scott and Tony, where I think they talk quite a bit about No Small Thing, what this podcast is. Tony shares a bit about his Enneagram and who he is, and Tony shares also about his life and a bit about his career and his journey. So we're really excited for you to hear this episode. That is going to be what No Small Thing is today. Uh, next week, we will be back on track with our 65th episode, meaning an Enneagram episode is coming. So we'll be doing an Enneagram episode on ones. So ones get excited. Um, other things with No Small Thing, give us a follow on Instagram at No Small Thing. We like to post a lot in both our stories on and our pages. Quotes, Enneagram things, pictures, you name it, we post it. And if you like the podcast, give us a rating and review. Say a few quick words. Just do the stars, whatever you have time for. It goes a long way and it helps spread the podcast. Okay. I hope that you guys enjoy this conversation. Okay, here I'm with Tony, and you should talk really close to the microphone because these are not like very expensive microphones. Um, Feel free to cut out everything that was just said before. This. Everything that was just said. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we said we'd 
talk about um, our no small thing uh, philosophy, mm-hmm. which is uh, curiosity above all else. Mm. And so, um, which is not encouraged in the church. Not encouraged in the church. <laughs> yeah, you got right into it. I was it. raised Baptist. That was not encouraged at all. You Isn't that not, interesting? You are not supposed to ask questions. It's not like anybody said you weren't supposed to ask questions, but if a question was asked that was caused tension, it was definitely looked down upon. Yeah. Yeah. Have you seen the trailer for this, the family thing? I just watched the first episode last night because yeah. my buddy David is the lead. Yes. Okay. There I you did go. did a movie um, with him this, this summer, and he was telling me about it, and he's the lead in it, and it's really interesting. It's so interesting. And terrifying. I know. And, I, and, and I've actually known a lot of people in that. I mean, officially, it's called The Fellowship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it's not called the family in real life. It's called the fellowship. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Okay. And I, I, I don't want to like. I've already had conversations with people on Facebook about it and stuff like that, and I, d- I wouldn't want to necessarily just come right out and be like, it's exactly how it's portrayed in the show. But yeah. I can say I have experienced elements of what is in that show. So just so everybody knows, oh, it's a, um, yeah. it's a Netflix show about uh, sort of this group uh, of Christians that have always been behind presidential elections and in positions of power. And they and host even a prayer more, it's the sense of like, it's you're, you're so, it's a very controlled, controlling somebody's spiritual journey. Yeah. That's um, why I brought it up. There's no, it seems like it just has no freedom in it, mm-hmm. no grace, mm-hmm. no humanity, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, and it's, I don't know, it's really very cult-like. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, you said it. <laughs> no, I mean, that's my guest, everybody. And I, I mean, I'm just, and I'm, I, again, I just, I've just heard about this. So I'm sure there's people out there that have different opinions. And I, I, yeah. But, f- and again, I know that that's one person's take on it and it's edited and all that kind of stuff. But it's pretty hard not to take away. And granted, I'm sure people like Colt, but it's, um, it seems like somebody's, um, behavior and choices is more worshipped than what actually God is saying. Ooh, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or, or their ability to um, like pretend to be part of the, say the right things that, that get Absolutely. you into the organization. And follow so. along the path that they have created. Yeah. Rather than what God has created. Jeez. Yeah. I, I was just watching in the guy that is in this house. It's hard. I, I would. I just go recommend for everybody to watch it, for just for the sake of it being very interesting. But um, you know, they're they're sort of teaching this way that, that they call Jesus plus nothing. And you know, the guy that's in the house keeps questioning it, and just ha- mm-hmm. and they're like, "Are you are you listening?" Instead of asking questions, and you can tell him r- writing mm-hmm. down notes or just mm-hmm. thinking, trying to engage with the material is threatening. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where, in general, beyond the fellowship of the family. Uh, Christianity or any religious system is probably fairly frustrating. And it's not, it's not the actual religious or faith or the faith practice, but it's the, um, it's the people and the customs that are around it. Yeah. And I mean, as an actor, I also understand how shows and characters can take it to the extreme. Mm -hmm. I know you take it to the extreme to get an, to get a reaction, to get emotion. So obviously those, Characters that they created are taken to the extreme. I understand mm-hmm. that. But even looking, I would even just take back to the foundational principles of what is happening. 
um, that that was encouraged, there's a lot of loopholes in there that is scary. Yeah, yeah. And, and just to go back to the spirit of the podcast, it's, it's like um, thinking about God being able to handle your doubts and questions. Oh so my gosh. we should be the most comfortable with Absolutely. Doubt. And your doubts, questions, honesty, ranting, yeah. everything. I mean, yeah, we're, lament. We're spinning on a planet. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely crazy. Yeah. And God has to, God knows that that's crazy. And, and even looking at something like Jesus plus nothing, Jesus is, my relationship with God is incredibly, is everything to me. Mm-hmm. It's very important to me. Um, and so I do, I mean, for me, he is everything to me, but it's also like it encompasses, I remember that one section and we can get past this, but <laughs> when it was just talking about the character of God as just being very, you know, um, dict, dict, um, dictatorial, dictatorial <laughs> and kind of uh, strong, and, yeah. which is the dictatorial is not at all true, but yes, he's strong. Yes, all those kinds of things, but he's also compassionate and yeah. he's caring yeah. and he walks beside you and he's yeah. loving. And again, I'm not, there's so many people maybe that are for this that I'm not saying that that's not a part of it, but I, I don't know, it felt just, just t- it felt like the humanity was just stripped away from these people, yeah. you know? Yeah. I'm well, the ma- very like, I'm a ma- I've been in therapy since God knows how long. I'm a mess, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and God welcomes my mess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On a you're daily aware basis. of that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, even if it's not true or if it's bias or if whatever, I mean, we do know that there are um, certain strains of Christianity that do feel like that, and it seems like you had a little bit of that growing up. Yeah, I did. I mean, and I I loved where I grew up. I loved it. I just I think, and me included. I mean, there was a sense of this is the way you, I mean, it was Southern Baptist, so it's like this is what you put out to the world, mm-hmm. and it's a really, you try to have this kind of gift, you have this tr- picture with a pretty bow around it to present to people about what following God is like. And just the older I've gotten, it's just not, I can't present that. Yeah. I just, I can't present my life. I'm, I'm a work in progress. It's all about God's grace. Mm. Um I don't know, and it, it, to your point before, it was just not encouraged to ask questions that much. Um, but lovely, lovely people, and it really goes back to, I think we all want to control. We're terrified, to your to your podcast, of the uncertainty. Mm-hmm. We're terrified of the curiosity. But everybody wants to ask it, and everybody wants to talk about the fact that, my God, it's so uncertain. Yeah. I don't know... I, it, we're li- to. I had this therapist once who was great, and he says to to get to a place where you're living the question. Yes. Where you're comfortable living the question, and I've I can honestly say I've for years I wasn't comfortable living the questions. I was comfortable having the answer. Hmm. I was not comfortable living in the question. Yeah, and I'm sure, I'm sure in your early career as a Christian in Hollywood, people would want you to represent. Christianity with certainty, I would imagine. Like, oh, now now you're here, so tell us. Yeah, tell sure. us how you have the answers. Yeah, defend um, your faith. <laughs> right, and I um, and I, I mean, I had my story, but I would even say when somebody, and to this day, when somebody finds out that my faith is very important, obviously there's a lot of anger about that because everybody has a history. Yeah. With faith. Yeah. And the church is messed up. We're all made of human beings who have made huge mistakes. And people bring their own history to that when they hear about faith. And I get that. I get, like, somebody's background and how that colors their picture of faith. And I, my thing is I just love to be able to have a discussion about it. I think 
not enough. Um, and I, again, I don't want to poo-poo the faith community because that's not. But I, I think just in general, I would even say politically, religiously, whatever, people just do not want to have the conversation. They don't yeah. want to build bridges. You know, it's oh, what was this example? Uh, somebody told me it's like it's almost like Democrats think Republicans is Handmaid's Tale. Oh, and Republicans think Democrats is some other great example. But But that's probably true. I mean, they literally will say that. It's the end still. Exactly. And it's like, but granted, whether you're thinking that, like, start the conversation, we need to start the conversation. Yeah. You know, and because just to find out where people are coming from, it just, I don't know. You know, it's really funny. We had um, one of our old theology professors on uh, the podcast to talk about a book he just came out with called Live the Questions. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love that. And it was really fun because he's looked at in our community as somebody who has quote-unquote answers and has studied the faith. And he you know, essentially was saying for over an hour and a half on the podcast, like, this is about asking good questions and essentially saying, here are some actual questions that the Bible has given us to ask. And so feel free to ask those and keep asking questions. And it was just, it was really refreshing because uh, people that are... So, so I mean, for anybody listening that doesn't know, I mean, there are, there are professors and people out there who study the Bible for an entire lifetime and a living, mm-hmm. you know. So it's really refreshing and cool when somebody gets on like that and says, yeah, it's all about asking questions. But somebody that studied that in our seminary classes, obviously questions were more than welcome. And then you get back into totally. the faith community. It's like, you can't do it. You can't ask questions. And, and my w- wife, years ago, uh, her brother uh, passed away and it was very sudden and tragic and and she was just kind of faced with all of these life questions when that happened. And she went to this church in New York called Redeemer Presbyterian that Tim Keller started. And one thing that she just so appreciated is after every single one of his talks, he had a Q&A. Mm. And so anybody could come and ask whatever they wanted. Yes. And it just was such a welcoming space of wherever you are, just ask. Let's just talk about it. And, man, I just thought that was such a fantastic model. Yeah. I had a pastor one, like, probably eight years ago that would really emphasize bringing your whole self means bringing your heart, your soul, and your mind. So bring your questions. God welcomes that. Yeah. You know, it's not looked down or, or a burden or a nuisance or yeah. annoying. or. It's also scary. Yeah. I mean, it's... It's very, very scary, a powerless feeling. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's like the first step in every support group is mm-hmm. I, I am powerless. Yeah. I'm completely powerless. And that's not easy to say. I'm powerless to these answers. I don't have these answers. I don't know. That's a that's not a fun feeling. You said uh, yesterday that you often get told that like religion or Christianity is a crutch. And you, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. I, I, give me <laughs> yeah, a crutch. <laughs> I say, I know I'm always like, sure, I'll take two. Two crutches. I'll take two <laughs> crutches. I mean, life is not easy. I don't know why we feel that we're supposed to do this alone. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's also not as a, like a side note. I think independence is really praised in our society. Mm-hmm. And it's like, what's wrong with healthy dependence? <laughs> You know, yeah, like not codependence really, or something like that, but healthy but like, dependence. Where we really, in a healthy way, need each other and we need yeah. God. And yeah, I mean, this journey that we're on is not easy. It is not. Yeah. Another Netflix special we watched while we were down here on vacation is this Brene Brown oh, Netflix yeah, special, yeah, yeah, which yeah, is yeah, another yeah. thing of like admitting our need and that how it's courage, courageousness involves vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Um, and codependency is probably manipulation and, you know, a way to 
that shows and highlights that you have some issues that you need to work out maybe with a therapist or like a professional of some kind, but, but dependency and, and admitting that you're need and, and relying on a, a, a few trusted friends is important. Yeah. 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 Well, anyways, <laughs> that's, I, I think it's, it's nice to have um, sort of watched essentially a little bit of your journey as a Christian out in public and and getting more comfortable in these types of situations, talking about not having all the answers and, mm-hmm. um, uh, yeah, I, I I find it interesting how you you basically have that s- sort of sidekick emasculated mm-hmm. um, reputation as as an actor, but you're not <laughs> like you're that. Like you're not person. like that in person. Yeah, you know what I mean. Uh-huh. But do you think people assume you are that way? Um. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of people that might think I am. Um, yeah, the two jobs that have gotten, you know, the most attention, Arrested Development and Veep, and and those characters have a lot of similarities. Mm-hmm. You know, they definitely have severe uh, mother issues, and um, <laughs> yeah. they are ab- abused mentally. And but it's like I, it's I, it, it, they just, especially Veep. Um, to be in that energy with Julia and to do that kind of comic dance together. I don't know. There's just something about kind of playing the wounded animal, but then always bouncing back. Yeah. Not to bring up a scripture, but like this character just always was like a dog returning to its vomit. Just never really woke up to the pattern that he was in. And even though it's very sad, most comedy at its base is incredibly sad. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you if you took all if you took all the comedy out and just looked at the story, it's very sad. Yeah, but it has just a lot of tools and material to play with and make it funny. It's really was really fun to do. And I'm sure you get asked this question a lot, but I mean, do you find that most people wanting to hire you are wanting you to do that character? I wouldn't say. Um, I, I think I had a, I used to have a lot of anxiety about that, especially after Arrested, because Buster was a very specific character. And then, thankfully, I was able to do gigs that... I remember I did... Um, oh, what's that movie? Um, the Informant. Oh, right, yeah. And I was able to play a lawyer. And, yeah. And you, I had to put myself out there, because it's not like someone's going to be casting a lawyer and be like, you know who'd be really good? The guy who played Buster Blues. <laughs> right, you know? right. So I had to kind of go out and show that I can do other stuff. And so stuff like that and doing, like, I remember early on, like that movie Stranger Than Fiction. and Oh, yeah, and with Will Ferrell? Yeah, and just doing different yeah. kind of characters that showed different colors. I think it, it might have helped kind of broaden the range a little bit. But, yeah, I mean, it's I think it's... It's still like you can't help like when somebody thinks of a certain actor that they're going to be associated with something. So yeah, I actually really enjoy auditioning where a lot of people don't enjoy auditioning. Mm -hmm. I really enjoy it because I'd much rather audition and know that they want me rather. I mean, it's always nice and very flattering to get an offer, but you kind of have to prove yourself when you go on set. You know, yeah. Rather, I enjoy auditioning because you you know that they want you before you walk on set. Oh, okay. So they wanted you to come in and yeah. And so many times I'll go in. I don't know the business at all. So yeah, sure. Like... Just many. So like, if there's a film or something like that, rather than um, an offer, 
I'll, I mean, I don't, I always enjoy kind of like, hey, would you like me to come in and read for you? Or if they're on the fence about it, and sometimes a lot of actors won't do something without an offer, mm-hmm. they won't audition. Hmm. And I'm like, hey, if it's, if the choice, if it's on the fence, let me come in and show you what I can do. And then I actually like that because then I'm walking on set with confidence. Yeah. Like, I know that I'm the they choice. They saw what I can do. Yeah. Rather than, I guess, the anxiety of getting on set and me doing something and then being like, ooh, bad choice. We were yeah. hoping for Buster. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or we were just hoping for something else. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that seems um, so, like something that I would not like. <laughs> well, I wouldn't like to be an actor, first of all. <laughs> but that but seems like a lot of pressure. Of in front of, you're in front of people a lot. and I know, but I don't love it. I mean, this is I like this better. I like the yeah, idea yeah, of... Yeah. Um, I like the idea of putting out... And I've talked about this in therapy. Yeah. I like the idea of putting out some material where when somebody experiences it, I don't have to be in the room. Mm. Well, it's kind of similar to a show or a movie, I guess. But you are in front of people when you're acting on yeah. these shows. But I, to that point, I, I can hear that like it's... um, you. I like to see someone's reaction mm-hmm. to something I've done. Mm-hmm. I think that's really, really fun. Mm-hmm. I, but probably um, uh, the the uh, flattery or anything like that, it can be, yeah. you know, because it's... It's uncomfortable at times. Yeah. You know, but it's so kind, but you almost, you almost, I always get worried that I'm not going to match the expectation that mm. you know, it's just going to be, it's, I'm just going to be not matching expectations all the time. You know? Yeah. I don't know how you, I don't know if you sense this, but I mean, uh, maybe you can call it empathy or something like that. But I mean, typically I would talk to high schoolers on a weekly basis and that'd be like 60 to 80 kids. Mm-hmm. But there are times where I've preached at our church and that would be, four sermons on a Sunday to about 500 people. Wow. And I think the em- it's the empathy gets short-circuited or overwhelmed or something because um, I can, I, I typically, I think a gift would be speaking and being able to read the room and seeing facial expressions. Am I boring? Is this, is this generating interest? And look at that person. But if it's too many people, I'm like, I don't know what is happening in this See, room I right would, now. there's a part of me that the latter would be yeah. hard. Because yeah, if isn't I that saw someone bored, it would yeah. shut me down. I'd be like, I'd, I'd spend all my energy trying to <laughs> people please and wake that person <laughs> right. up. Right. Rather than just kind of a blur of a crowd to where I don't see those reactions. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. I think it's probably the difference between like a, a formal presentation or like a teaching moment because... I can stop whatever I'm doing and, and ask questions. I'm like, are you understanding? Do you yeah, want to, do yeah, you want to? But yeah, if yeah. it's just like I'm up there performing, yeah, I mean. You also I, come off really authentically. So it's kind of like, I, I bet like when you're talking to crowds, even though you might be nervous or something like that, like there's a definite genuine vibe. Yeah, I hope I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like, when, yeah, I mean, typically I was used to talking to maybe 15 to 20 kids on a weekly basis. And when I started talking to more, my wife was working at the church with me and, she would see me in the evenings after I gave a talk and I'd just be like drenched in sweat. I mean, it's just like a 15 minute talk and I'd be like flush in the face. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't know. We were doing this weekend, uh, the Enneagram stuff. Yeah. And, um, you have, what is it? Sexual, social, self-preservation. And you're sexual, which is intimate. Oh, it's social blind. So it'd be self-preservation second. Yeah. So, but your first is sexual intimate. Yeah, yeah. And so your one-on-one is very... Exactly. So that makes sense that that would be very... You know, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is, very, this, is, this is not only easy, but extremely fun. I mean, I could do mm-hmm. this for hours. Yeah, yeah. Whereas if we were in front of a crowd, yeah, I don't, I don't know. But um, yeah, producing something that, that then gets viewed by somebody else with me not in the room, like whether it's writing or a podcast, that mm-hmm. seems so lovely, you know? Mm. 
Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know the difference between you being on camera on a set or, or accepting an award. If there's any difference there. Well, I think there is a, I've gotten better at it, but like when I first started doing talk shows, Mm. that was, um, I remember, I'll never forget, um, side note, but it was like (laughs) one of the first times I was doing Conan and you know, they open the curtains and you walk out Yeah. and right before, like about a minute or so before they open the curtain, I felt a panic attack coming on. Oh, oh no. And I had a crossroads. I was (sighs) like either bolt. Yeah. Or I do something to get past this. And I remember, I'll never forget, there was two guys sitting next, standing next to the curtain to open them. And I just started asking them questions Mm. because so much of anxiety is you just get into your mind. And so I just started asking them questions and be like, where are you from? How long are you doing this? (laughs) And it helped me kind of get my mind off it. And then I I walked out. But talk shows are something about when you're a character, especially in front of the camera, there's a real disconnection that almost happens. Yeah. And you just kind of, I mean, you're, I'm nervous, but it's not, but when you're yourself and you Ooh. know it's live TV and, <sighs> and you're, you have, you want to be funny and you want to be seen a certain way and you want to make sure you talk about the thing you're promoting, man, you get in your head. And so that's, I think that was probably something. And everybody's I've watching you. And everybody's watching you. And, and there's many times you'll be, <laughs> like I did one yesterday and, you're on the couch and all of a sudden you you're talking and you just leave your body almost and watch your lips moving. And it's like, (laughs) Oh my God, what are you saying? Like, stop talking. You know, it's just this weird, weird. Yeah. I've loved this. Cause I, I, like I said, I edit it later. If I, there are been times where I'm like, what was that? And I can go back and just cut it, you know, but when you're with this other, right. And also it seems that, you know, those you're putting yourself in the fate of those talk show hosts. Um, if they're feeling particularly mean that day, they could really, I mean, especially somebody like at the time, David Letterman or something like that. It seems yeah. like he would Which, be. Which by the way, like I, I did his show twice. I love David. Yeah. Letterman. Okay. I really. Well, so it seems lo- like maybe whatever mood really he was in like, or something. Yeah. But I think he also had seen Veep. So I yeah, mean, okay. he was, he enjoyed the show. Yeah. But I really liked him. And I, th- for me, it's. Um, if you can have, if you have, like, thankfully, having done this for many years, you you know, you don't know these people like f- buddies, but you've been on their show enough to where it's there's a or you've seen them enough at things that there's a little more of a relationship. Yeah, and so it's not it's not such a detachment, which is nice. Yeah, because totally. then you feel like you're a little more for each other. Rather yeah. than you don't ha- you don't know what the other person is going to do, and maybe he likes he's the type that likes taking arrogant people and knocking them down a, a peg or two. Yeah, I don't know. Who he's knows? just I mean, he really it's so I love watching talk show hosts because there's really a um, Conan has this too. They've been doing it so long. There's just a relaxed mm-hmm. energy about mm-hmm. them that uh, it's just very comfortable to watch. Yeah. And, and Letterman, it was just like I mean, kind of what we were saying about like it, like this. The relaxed comfort that we have here, they have in front of thousands, if wow. not, I mean, obviously millions of people yeah. every night. That's and that's in, and watching that comfort is 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 easy to is an easy watch. Yeah, yeah, and it does seem like uh, Jimmy Fallon's probably comfortable, but he's also pretty ramped up. <laughs> he, yeah, and he's really just he's a such a kind man. Yeah, he's a really really kind man. He's also very comfortable. He has a different energy. But it's definitely more, yeah, it's more of a fast-paced and yeah. lots going on in his head. He likes to play games. And, <laughs> and, that, and each show I'd is so different. I'd be stressed out about that. Yeah. But it does seem like David Letterman's gotten very gentle in his old age, if you watch well, his he new does, show. Yeah, he's, he's so also nice. like 
looks like Zeus. I know, I know. I, of course, just watched the episode with Kanye, and it was really interesting oh, to watch sure, yeah. how sort of nervous he was about interviewing Kanye. Really? Yeah, he was like, I want this to go so well. Before he introduces him, you know, it's like my next guest is. What course. was he nervous about? I think he just understands that Kanye has been, you know, historically very unpredictable in interviews and very mm. aggressive and... Mm. You know, there's just no telling what he'll do. Mm. There's no telling what he'd say to the audience or David Letterman or. Mm. Um, See, I would have a really hard time when someone's like that because mm-hmm. I know, you know, when I've had reactions of my personal life, but it's always been from pain. Like there's yeah. something going on inside of me, so it'd be t- <laughs> it would be tough not to have like if somebody's acting that way just to be like. Dude, we're all gonna die. Why are you acting like a douchebag? Right, right, like, right. what is? You want your legacy to be that you were a douchebag? Yeah, like, yeah. What is going on right now? It would be hard not to have to cross into judgment. Yeah, and, I mean, and just to try to like dig to get to that pain. Well, interviewers than just have. Letting, yeah, yeah, and rather than just, but rather than not judging and just kind of letting them go on that journey and walking that journey with them alongside them, mm-hmm. but it would be tough to not be like, what is your like. Back down. I you know. know. There was one, there's a interviewer, uh, DJ named Sway, and he, there's a probably Kanye's most famous moment on air where he was just being interviewed over the radio and he just lost it and was screaming at Sway and talking about all this money he lost in his clothing company. And Sway really was like, don't do this. Like, stop it. Like, really? this is, and they were both just screaming at each other. He's like, you're making us look bad, not just the show, but like us. And, our friendship and our community and wow. Um, and how did Kanye react? He eventually calmed down and he's joked a lot about it since, uh, it was probably like six years ago, maybe Um, he's joked, meaning he had a realization about it or he, yeah, it's, it's a, it's turned into a meme. Like, uh, they were talking about clothing and, um, and he just kept, he, he was, he was offended that he, he felt like, and obviously he's proven himself, to be right, but he was doing, he was trying to get into the fashion industry mm. and doing fashion on a high level. And in his mind was getting shut down over and over again. Oh, I see. And Sway had made some t-shirts and had started another company, but uh, not anywhere near the level that Kanye would yeah, want. Sure. And so he was sort of trying to give Kanye some hope and advice and be like, well, don't worry because this, and that was just really, so he get, he just kept mm. screaming, you don't have the answer, Sway. You don't have the answer. Wow. And, and Sway'd be like, no, I know. He's like, don't, no. And he just yeah, kept yeah, yelling yeah. him. But yeah. Sway was like, we're talking. We're just two guys talking. You don't need to do this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, um, yeah. Oof. But yeah, and he, so he's he's joked about it since. I'm also, as you know, a huge Kanye fan. But. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> We've had many discussions. But yeah, I mean, that, there was even a part where I think David Letterman on that interview uh, called my next guest is, if anybody's wondering what I'm talking about, um, with Kanye, uh, I think was getting comfortable and does does try to poke Kanye a little bit. And you can tell Kanye is not going to like, it wasn't a good state of mind. It wasn't falling for it. So he said, they were talking about politics. Mm. And and uh, he said, well, who did you vote for in the last election? Kanye says, I've never voted for a president before. And David Letterman says, well, then you don't have a right to have a say in this uh, discussion. And everybody just starts cheering. And, and Kanye is like, whoa, you got me. Okay. And he's like, but I'm here talking, right? I'm here sharing my opinion. <laughs> so he didn't like take the bait and get mad. Yeah, and yeah, um, yeah, yeah, and yeah. he did have a point. He was having a platform of sorts, yeah, yeah, but yeah. anyways, I don't know what we're talking about being on, <laughs> being on it. talk shows, I guess. I love it. <laughs> um, okay. So I think, uh, we'll, we'll take a break and we come back. Um, we'll talk about Archibald because mm. that's, that's what you're doing now. The next big thing, the next big thing. Okay. When we come back. 
So we're back, and um, Tony's next thing right now is Archibald. Mm-hmm. And and the thing is, is that it's I've seen some trailers and stuff, but honestly, if I didn't know you, I probably wouldn't. Archibald probably would not be on my radar. Sure. So um, I I still imagine most people don't even know yeah. what it is. It'd be cool for you to talk about the yeah. origins because I know it has yeah. like a very personal story. It is a personal story. So years ago, I um, years ago I well yeah many I mean two thousand three when I started Arrested Development I was so excited to be on that show. It was definitely my big thing mm-hmm. at the time. And I got on the show, and I was with a great cast, great writing, so funny. But even on the best show, in my opinion, at the time, I was still looking to my next thing. Hmm. And, and there was a lot of fear about what my next thing is going to be. And, um, and the whole thing is if you're so focused on your next adventure, you're going to miss the adventure you're on. So, so I did good. this did this book with my buddies, Tony Biagni and Victor Huckabee, and this lead illustrator at this publishing company, Misty Manley. And um, it really talks about this chicken Archibald who's always looking to his next big thing. Every time he's on an adventure, he's like, I love it, but I got to get to my next big thing. And this bee travels around with him and is like, you got to just be, man. You got to just be. That's good. <laughs> and then he realizes that he, his big thing is exactly where he is. So the, cut to years later, my friends Drew, Jake, and Eric uh, with DreamWorks and Netflix are doing this show. And Archibald now treats everything like a big thing. Hmm. And what... He has pretty much become my role model because he walks into a situation and he sees the best in a situation. He sees the best in everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, he yes-hands his way through life. He makes a lot of mistakes, but it's his attitude towards them, and there's always a greater purpose to the mistake. Mm-hmm. He's so full of joy, and I just feel like in today's society, we're all seeing the worst in each other. Oh, that's so true. You know, I mean, it's just like my wife and I even have to check this because it's <laughs> like we can find ourselves just seeing the worst in each other. Yeah. And it's like it's all of ours default. And mm-hmm. Archibald is just the opposite. He just only sees the best. And Dang. I just, I don't know. It has just been one of the biggest joys of my life. Um, I just love it. I love it. That's huge. And it is interesting because it really started off as a true, not one note, but maybe one dimensional children's book with a. Sure. And now it really seems um, so much more complex just from watching the trailer. Yeah. And he, you know, in on honesty, he's he's pretty distracted. Yeah. Like in the pilot episode, he, they're going on a trip and he gets distracted by these breakdancing otters. <laughs> and, you know, you think like, oh, Archibald, because he just gets involved in the breakdance and he misses the boat. But in the end, he kind of was like, all right, well, I got to go with it, and I got to find my siblings. But because of this mistake and this kind of him going a different direction, there's a problem that happens with the siblings in the boat. And because he kind of made this mistake and he kind of had a yes and attitude, he meets these big whales <laughs> that um, help this problem in the end. And yeah. if he hadn't made that mistake, if he hadn't had that real open-minded attitude it would have been a different story. Yeah. And it's just like, I just, man, I, I'm, I'm a guy who I like a plan. I don't like that plan to go wrong. <laughs> you know, it's like, and he might have a plan, but life's not, life doesn't go that way. Yeah. Life goes many different directions. Yeah. And you, that even going back to like living the question, living the uncertainty, you know, <sighs> having the attitude of, all right, this took a turn. So now I got to, 
Go yeah. with it, you know? I love that you say he's your role model. Like oh, a character that you've created. Yeah. yeah. And he's so quirky and so... he. I met Victor Huckabee years ago, way before the book at this L.A. Art Festival out here, and his art is so beautiful. Mm-hmm. I lo- I've always loved his art. And this character, Archibald, that he had created from... I, oh, I'm going to mess this, but I think it might be either his great-uncle or his great-grandfather who was named Archibald. Okay. Um... I met him, and I, I was a huge fan of Beaker growing up in the Muppets, because mm. he had this, like... He has a Beaker look. He has, like, a Beaker look in this kind of cone head, and he, yeah. he just how his, his... He was just so funny to me, mm-hmm. and yellow is also my favorite color, mm. and so Archibald just had... I just immediately attracted to him, and he had this, like, hilarious wool sweater and denim slacks, and I was just like, God, I like this guy. <laughs> and so from there, then we met Tony, and um, that's how the, and Misty and the book kind of came about, and then years later, the show. Macy has a deep connection with the color yellow, so Macy, that's kind of fun for you to hear yellow. Oh, why does she yeah. like... I love... Yellow is so alive, yeah. and I won't say the director's name, because okay. it's not even worth getting into, but I was oh doing boy. this gig once <laughs> where he was... At, in front of the whole crew, he asked me, hey, Tony, what's your favorite color? And I said, it's yellow. And he goes, he said this kind of snark comment of like, man, whose favorite color is yellow or something like that. Gosh. And I just turned and I was like, well, how dare you? I said, do you have a lot of friends? Because it's a popular color. (laughs) It's literally one of the primaries. Yeah. Getting sassy with the director. And so that was probably a bad choice. (laughs) No, uh, 21 Pilots is Macy's favorite band and they, uh, They've used yellow as sort of a sign of hope in a lot of their work. So, it's yeah. so full of joy to yeah. me. I just love that color. Yeah, that's awesome. And uh, Archibald is releasing in like two weeks, I think. Yeah, I yeah. don't know when this is gonna when you're gonna put this out, but it's September six. Oh, Monday. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, so next Friday, so September six. Um, I I I saw something like two years ago where it was just some mock-ups. I don't even know how to describe what I was seeing, but it was some moving animation, but nowhere near what we have. And at the time you're like, this is just something to bring around to people to see what they think, but it's nowhere near a done deal. Yeah. We were probably pitching it. Yeah. Because DreamWorks has really been, I can't say enough nice things about them. I came into this not knowing anything how to do animation, Mm -hmm. nothing. And they have just guided me, been patient. I don't, there's something called an animatic where you have a story and then they do like almost a sketch drawing of the episode before they send it out to be animated. I didn't know what an animatic was. Like it's all this kind of stuff, even, even down to like picking out designs. And so they've just been such a guiding force, which I'm really grateful for. So much work. I mean, you just posted something the other day and I I stared at it for a long time because it was some sort of, um, I don't know what you'd call it, a sheet from the Royal Tenenbaums that Martell had worked on. And, oh, but it just yeah, had everybody's yeah. names. It had uh, oh, the a scene sheet. breakdown, a call sheet. I don't even yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. I, was, I was like, just this one scene uh, with Ari and Uzi and Ben Stiller and all them yeah. getting out of the apartment required all this information. Totally. And my so my wife was a makeup artist on the Royal Tenenbaums. And so I, I, we were digging through the garage the other day and I found an old call sheet and posted it and... And that was, and what's even, it's in that whole day is, yeah, digging through an apartment. And it's like, that's maybe four or five minutes in the movie. Mm-hmm. And it was, it took a whole day to <sighs> shoot that stuff. You know, it's like movies and everything. And I mean, this Archibald has taken almost three years to yeah. create. Yeah. Um, and like even having done Toy Story this past summer, that took, that was a five year 
journey for them. Yeah, that's you know? amazing. It's, that's crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. And it's and the voice actors, you know, I'm so grateful to be on it, but we are a very small slice of Toy Story Pie. Yeah. Because it is um those animators to me are the real magicians. Like yeah. that is they put magic on that screen that I do not even get. And then you just get to come in and do your I thing, which is silly important too, but forkyish. <laughs> forkyish. Oh, your daughter Loy said something to me yesterday morning. The Taylor Swift album had come out and I was sitting here at the table and I said, I'm gonna try to read some reviews. Mm. And Loy very wisely was like, Well, reviews aren't that important. They they've basically just take and criticize people's hard work and they didn't do any of the work themselves. And I was like, Whoa, oh, wow. <laughs> you might have <laughs> a dad that's that in the me. industry. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow, I but I, but I, I think, I mean, I do think, I do think, I do appreciate the work of critics. I mean, I like reading reviews and just, just to almost yeah, have yeah, like yeah. a conversation partner in the midst of it. Of course. Yeah. Like we were going to see a movie last night and we read some reviews and mm-hmm. I wanted to see a movie that had gotten a good review. Yeah. We saw blinded by the light, by the way, which is really good. Really highly good. recommend that movie. Oh, it's nice. about a kid, a Pakistani kid growing up in Britain who gets obsessed with Bruce Springsteen. Oh, I've seen this poster. Oh, yes, yes, so yes. good. I was I've like lumping my throat the whole movie. Of course. But, um, when you say it like this with Archibald, all the team, the three years, all, all the heart that went yeah. into it, and then it comes out and some critic is like, this is ridiculous. This is so stupid. And it's totally. like, God, well, can you be a little more sensitive? Well, I will say like it's... <laughs> or appreciate. And, you, and yeah, and I, I mean, I fully... I fully get reviews. I I understand them. I think it's 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 the I hate to say the artist because I don't. I mean, it's hard to consider myself an artist, but it's like, yeah, you're an artist. The, I will say creator. It's the creators of the works' um, responsibility to watch boundaries and reading them. Yeah. Like probably when it comes out, that's probably not the right after the time because I'm in a sensitive space to yeah. read a bunch of reviews. Yeah, but down the road when I want to kind of that, I can maybe glance at them. Um, but you have to, the thing is you have to be very careful how how wide you spread the net because you're always I mean the wider you spread it you're gonna get a lot of different opinions and you wonder is this constructive to you or is it destructive yeah. to you and yes if it's constructive like if you if you spread the net to people you really respect and maybe critics that you really respect and really get good feedback hey that's fully that's that can be fully constructive if you spread that net way too wide. I think it could get really destructive. Yeah, and you've had the, the I wouldn't call it luck, whatever word we want to use, to be on some critically acclaimed yeah, shows. Yeah, sure. Um, is there is there is there something in your history where it's been like really not critically acclaimed, like a show or a movie that you were on? Oh yeah, fully. Um, Can you remember, or is it even appropriate to talk about? I'm trying to think. Oh yeah, I know I have. And this is, and I, I, without saying titles, <laughs> the the truth is. <laughs> the absolute truth is you agree. Right. Oh, right. You know, oh, oh, that's like, kind of trippy. Yeah. If something is not good, yeah. I know it's I know it's not good. So I go in saying this is not going to be yeah. critiqued well. You know, yeah. so it's it's like that's Ooh. so I'm prepared. Now if something I really do think is solid and I mm-hmm. really do think is good, and then that gets like that's a, that's like, oh, I wasn't expecting that. But most of the time, I mean I'm so thankful to be working, I'm an actor, and you're gonna do gigs that you don't hundred percent Mm-hmm. or four, you kind of go in with the critics. You're like, yeah, I have a feeling this is, we're not talking something that I'm hugely passionate about. Yes. You kind of are kind of prepared for it. Now I'll say something that you don't have to take any responsibility for, but I have to believe Ben Affleck knows how bad the Batman movies that he's been in are. 
You know, he has to, I, I mean, I'm sure he's not out there being like, wait, I thought it was good. Yeah, I don't, I honestly <laughs> haven't so seen that. But I've, I actually know somebody who knows him fan. and he's like a really, really, really nice guy. Yeah, he seems like it. Um, and that, I will say too. that is, I have not seen those movies, but that is something that I do think, and I, would, I wouldn't even say like in terms of just critics, I think it's just a life, life lesson that really, before we say anything, really considering a human being behind yeah. that remark. Yeah. Um, there, that's one thing that being an actor has taught me a lot about is, you know, many times I do characters that I disagree with their choices mm-hmm. and I disagree with their life journey, how they treat people or whatever, or how they treat themselves. But you have to love that character for to play yeah. it genuinely. Yes. Oh, right. And you have to, you can't, you, you have to come from a place of empathy with acting to mm. find those places in their heart and in their life where you can really love them. And yeah. it, it really is a great, it's taught me a lot about just how I, like I can think of two people off the top of my head in my life who I can't stand mm-hmm. easily. Could you play them? And I, and, the, and an I, actor. and I probably yeah. could play them, but it, but the challenge is just in life is, oh, this is a, this is what it is. It's okay. like I think about when I think about these people, I think, sorry, there's a trash truck outside. Oh, fine. When I think about these people, I think, oh my gosh, they're so arrogant, they're so entitled, they're manipulative. Yeah. And the fact of the matter is, Scott, I have been arrogant in my life. Mm. I have been. There have been points I'm not proud of. There, I have been manipulative. I have had moments of entitlement. And so if you really break it down, you can resonate mm-hmm. with something of every single person you can't stand. And that's <laughs> with acting, you have to find those common areas. And in life, you have to find those common areas in order to show kindness. You have to. Well, it's just being self-aware, too. It sounds like I was, I was kind Which, of pouting. By the way, easy to say. Yeah, yeah. Easy to easy say. To this say. is not an easy daily practice for me and doesn't happen often. Yeah. <laughs> we'll go be mean to our families. Right after this podcast, <laughs> no, I had I was I was being high maintenance and manipulative of my family for probably fifteen minutes yesterday. I had to snap out of it. But you know, if you're aware of that, and not, yeah, you were you were mentioning some I forget what it was yesterday. You were mentioning a character Edward Norton played in that movie with Richard Gere. Oh my God, Primal Fear. Yeah, I, I, I haven't heard that. that brought up in a long time. But you talked about the turn at the end. The turn, man. Yeah, and it, a, so just, creepy. Just from an amazing. acting standpoint, yeah. it was so good. I love. And I loved and continue to love Edward Norton. Mm-hmm. Maybe sometimes in the faith community, it's very easy to point the finger at certain things. Right. The fact is, we're, we need to point the finger more at ourselves. Yeah. You know, it's just like we are, we have got so many things to deal with, and it's very easy to get that outside of yourself because you don't want to face your own crap. And like, mm. but the reason with Primal Fear is, I just I loved that movie because it really had like we all have a Jekyll and Hyde in us. Ooh, yeah, that was so profound. I had forgotten entirely about that movie. Yeah, and yeah. it's obviously that's taken to the extreme. Yeah. yeah, and obviously the story Jekyll and Hyde is taken to the yeah. extreme. But man, we all have that part of ourselves that we have to realize is like, yeah, it's in me, and it's something that I have to bring awareness to all the time. Uh, there's a teacher, a sort of public philosopher, theologian I like who I. I'm going to visit with Marissa and hopefully interview um, in October. We're going to go to Belfast. His name's Peter Rollins. Mm. Um, and he often talks about this idea that God should be a uh, projectile and not a projection. And what he means by that is too often we use God as just a way to project our own issues in a grander way. Mm. 
and and we hide behind the word God. Mm-hmm. So it's like if I'm judgmental to this group, not only am I judgmental, but now I'm going to amplify it by saying God is judgmental. It's not just me. Mm. Uh, and he oh, says wow. a, a projectile instead of a projection, meaning you use it for self-critique. God should be used for self-critique, not mm. to critique others. Oh, interesting. Um, and I really like that. So he has all these things like he has something called the Evangelism Project where essentially he has a curriculum and you get a, like a, a group of people. And he's mostly talking to Christians. Yeah, yeah. I hope that represents Peter Rollins, right? I don't think he's listening to this. But um, uh, so if, you, if you're in your, your Christian church and you're doing the Evangelism Project, essentially you uh, go to a mosque or something like that, some a different you know, worshiping community. And you say, tell us about your faith. We're here to hear from you, not you hear from us. And he has a series of questions you ask. I think the last question is, how do you see us? Mm. And it's realizing that Mm. you think they're weird, but now you're seeing it from their lens and they think you're weird. Mm. And you're like, wait, I thought we had the right answer. And I love that he's flipping the word evangelism. Yeah, isn't that fun? Because that's, that word has, there's obviously a tremendous connotation to it. Yeah. A little bit of Not connotations, but like a massive stigma. Yeah. Man, see, this is what happens. I feel like we're starting to wrap up, but I feel like I'm just getting started oh, with you. <laughs> a few more minutes. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, one of the things I did want to bring up, and then maybe we can, can the finale can be some Enneagram talk, but um, I mean, you and I are huge Wes Anderson fans, mm-hmm. and I do think Royal Tenenbaums might, I've said for the longest time it's my favorite movie. I have a poster of it in my office, mm. but just any Wes Anderson movie in general. Yeah. And so I found it so strange that Martel had worked on Royal Tenenbaums. Did you not know that? No, I did know that. I had forgotten. Yeah. And won an Emmy for that, right? No, she won okay. an Emmy for an, uh, a, some TV work that she did okay, okay. in New York in years ago. But yeah, the fact that she had a, a hand in that movie. Um, but it does seem like Archibald, the artwork, has some Wes Anderson vibes. Yeah, I mean, obviously, even to say, <laughs> even to say that, I'm like, oh. <laughs> it, it, because he's so... Guy, he's so... Amazing. His yeah. hotel, um, one I just blanked on the title. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, Grand Budapest. Grand Budapest. So one good. of them. Each each frame of his work is a portrait. It is. And there's a shot in Archibald where um, it's he, they all live in an egg, and the town is called Crackridge. Mm-hmm. And there's a shot of of the house that they live in, and all you see is half of a house. Yeah. Because the uh, the front is taken out, so the audience can see it. And he walks down the whole house, and it, to me, it's. I just I always had that image because it felt very Wes Anderson. Yeah. Just like seeing the entire situation, almost like Steve Aquatic or something, yeah. where it just goes down. And I don't know. I I I just love the the detail and the focus that's gone into each one of his shot and the balance. Yeah. You know, Martell tells stories of um, when she was on Real Tenenbaums, and he would even the wallpaper that was in a room. It was so specific. His vision. Because it had, it was like either either illustrations that he himself did on the wallpaper or something, but it was like it's just such a his vision is all over it. Well, he has a, such an eye for detail, and he also is sort of a private person. So I haven't found very many interviews where you can find out about his creative process or something like that. And God bless him because yeah. that's I mean that's his own uh, protection. He's that's a yeah. good boundary. Yeah, it really is. Okay, so I think we have about seven minutes. Mm-hmm. And we did some Enneagram to conversations this week. And yeah. that's almost one of the primary things we talk about on the podcast. And we discovered probably that you're social too. Mm-hmm. And so what what has that meant to you so far? Um, I, uh, I'm still learning. 
And my challenge is, this is why I really would, I wish you guys lived back in LA. Because <laughs> my thing is, I learned a lot through conversation. Yeah. And through group talk. Yeah. You know? Um, I'm not a big reader. Yeah. Uh, I'm not even a big podcast listener. Which is so funny because uh, you, you have to read scripts and stuff. I have to read scripts. Um, but I guess since it's I'm forced to, it's, it kind yeah. of like helps. But I'm not a big podcast. I like being around people and talking about it. And that's how mm-hmm. I learned. So I learned a lot. I loved this weekend because you've been talking about each other's numbers and my two that's, um, I'm still learning. So any Enneagram, mm-hmm. uh, oh, professionals yeah, no, this out world, there, please don't judge. Here. Um, <laughs> but it's like just the whole idea of the empathy. Um, but sometimes it's very tough. It gets really into people pleasing and the hospitality component of it. Yeah. And I really do enjoy, um, uh, helping and all that kind of stuff, but it can get into more of a selfish help where I tend to do things and stuff in return, and that's something I mm-hmm. always have to check. Mm-hmm. And then the social component added on top of it, which is um, kind of a double whammy, it feels yeah. like, yeah, because that alone is also very much social. However, I, I'm not an extrovert. Right. I'm I really do. I, I like showing up. I love people. I love engaging. But I have to recharge mm-hmm. by myself, mm-hmm. you know. So I, I think set number two was self-preservation mm-hmm. for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then three is the connection. Intimate, intimate yeah. one. Which is interesting. I mean, that, that we say like a blind spot, but that's interesting because it's not like you're incapable. Like I have social no. blind, but I'm capable of being social. Yes, reading totally. I'm definitely... I I and I and I really do like and one of the questions was like when you're at a party do you um meet everybody and I'm like mm-hmm. no oh yeah, yeah. Will, I will lock in to yeah. two or three feet people which feels like intimate I mean it right, feels right. like the sexual intimate component yeah. but I don't know what that says but I'm definitely not the person that goes around the party and meets everybody but you also said unless it's my party if it's, yeah yeah if it's something that's feel at my house then I feel responsible to meet them but if I'm at a, like an industry thing I'll yeah. lock into two or three people and talk you said uh, it could be a self-preservation thing in the sense that you said you came up with that skill when you were on Conan of just like, I've, I'm, there's a lot of people here. I need to take the attention all off myself. So Yeah, yeah, because it can. And also, at the end of the day, if I'm too on all night, I'll just judge myself. I'll just be yeah. like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> there was no authenticity. <laughs> that sounds heavy. There was um, just like, I just looked like a robot, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. But if I can have, where if I can have some connection, which feels like <laughs> that, the connection, everything. Then I feel like I'm a little mm-hmm. more like I've had a little more of an authentic space. I relate to that. The robotic element, I think that's in general why I tend to stay away from a big party. And I do get confused why everybody's having so much fun because I feel robotic. So I'm just like, I'm not here being myself. I mean, yeah. maybe, maybe I could find a way to be myself and enjoy it more, but, um, yeah, I it, just tend to get really meta about it. Like if <laughs> me too, like at a party and everybody's just like, what is this? I'll ten- what is this? And then I'll kind of like, what are we medicating here? Right. You know, like I want to get into people's stories, <sighs> you know, it's kind of that sense of like, and my biggest challenge, I think just it's like that compassion and empathy can very easily go to judgment because mm-hmm. I can be kind of like, what are you hiding? You know, there's a oh. part of me that's like, what are you hiding? And let's get to that pain. And what are you medicating by this? And I really relate why to are that. You, you know, it's that kind of stuff. And it's like, well, that's not doing any good because I'm just judging. Yeah. You do seem to have a reputation for being an asshole. No, no, you don't actually. <laughs> maybe, maybe with like some friends. I don't know. <laughs> but um, for being, I mean, it was, it was that, uh, 
uh, picture that Julia posted recently of you guys on the last day of the set with a. Oh yeah. It seems yeah. like such an appropriate image for an Enneagram too, where, yeah. where she's like down to the heart on his chest. Yeah. Like such a kind, generous person to work with. Yeah. You have a reputation for being that. That's very nice like. to say. Yeah. I really, really cared about those people, and yeah. it's very. I guess maybe because I'm a two and and I love people and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. We really got close, and all of a sudden it's done. Mm. And you're just like, Wait, that's not the way it's supposed to. Like, aren't we supposed to be together for yeah, the rest of our lives? That you seems know? And so unbearable that's, almost. That was, uh, that was tough. I mean, cut to I'm having, <laughs> I'm having a big party with the cast and crew. Oh. Like, uh, coming up right before, like, in a, a few weeks, just because I, I want to gather us yeah, together. Yeah. You know, it's like I really, just the writers and the actors. and Are they going to come here? I think we're gonna yeah we're gonna yeah. try and try and do it here just to kind of get together and connect again. Yes, yeah that seems um, that seems like I said almost unbearable to become and that, that close. That is what I miss. I mean I I love the work. Mm-hmm. I David Mandel and Armando Yanucci created the show. Just I love what they've created, but man I miss the relationships. I, that's what it's going to be the hardest. They all seem like such great people. Really great people. We didn't even really get into Veep, and we should wind it down. But um, yeah, well, we'll Gary's concluding. Too. Oh, the last, the oh, last yeah. chapter of Gary's story was so sad. <laughs> it was sad, but honestly, yeah. I feel like it was, um, it was what he needed. Mm-hmm. You know, because mm-hmm. he was in an addictive cycle with her. Yeah, he, she was his precious. Yeah. she was his obsession. Yeah. Yes, that's a good way of saying. And um, her doing that to him was the only thing that was going to break that cycle. Uh, I, I almost felt like sometimes there's shows. Dexter being one of them that doesn't go all the way on its premise. And it's not to say that I wouldn't, I would want Dexter to do that because it would be dark. I mean, it already is like one of the darkest yeah, shows, yeah, but, yeah. but Breaking Bad seemed to be, even though I know you don't watch Breaking Bad. I wa- I've watched some. It's heavy, man. <laughs> I know. It's heavy. And it I don't went, know if that's two in me. I'm like, oh yeah, my probably. God, I'll watch CNN and be just as freaked <laughs> yeah, out. Right. It, it, to me, in the last few episodes, it, it sort of delivered on its premise, meaning it just went all out. And you're like, this is the logical conclusion of these characters. And sometimes I feel like a television show pulls back or like lets up, like just mm-hmm. as the plane is about to land, they let up. And you're like, well, how do you feel about true. the movie coming out? Oh, I'm so excited. I, I just didn't even know about it. I just saw the trailer that I was like, what is this? I don't think Walter White is going to be in, like the main, um, what's his face, Brian Cranston's character. I don't think he's going to be in it. It's going to be Jesse Pinkman. Oh, really? Who is like his assistant. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. I thought he would have. He might be in it, but it's, they don't, who knows? It seems mysterious. Interesting. Oh, yeah. I always assumed that they were both in it. Yeah. I don't I think so. I know they did a tequila together. Did you read that? Oh, no. They okay. did tequila together. I saw it in BevMo the other day. <laughs> okay. Well, there you go. Maybe that's a sign. But no, I mean, Veep was that. Veep was like, this is the logical conclusion of these characters. This is Selena's logical I know, and that's what's really conclusion. cool about being able to do a full circle like that with yeah. a series. Because many times you are you get canceled or something and you don't get to have that full circle. But mm-hmm. in the pilot episode, there was a great line of Matt Walsh, who played Mike. He said um, he just randomly was trying to break in and, and goes, I mean, what if Tom Hanks dies or something like that, like to oh. change the press? And we were like, why would you say, what if Tom Hanks dies? And then the last episode of the whole series, Tom Hanks dies. Oh my gosh. And it's like That's just, great writing. Just being right able there. to have that full yeah. circle is pretty yeah. satisfying. Wow. Okay. This is great. Maybe it'll just be the first of many conversations. We'll this is really one. fun and easy, obviously. Um, 
Well, thank you. Thank y- you for You're one of my me. favorite people. And oh, ditto, yeah. man. I wish you guys lived here. Yeah, I know. Seattle, you know, like, give them up. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're giving up Seattle. We're coming to LA. Yeah, but uh, we do like it when you visit, too, so... Um, all right, that's it, everybody. I don't know what the episode next week is going to be. I think I just felt be. an earthquake. Did you feel an earthquake? No, did you? I think I might have felt a little rubble, but, or maybe that's just my stomach. One. <laughs> that'll be that'll be really funny if there was actually there just was an earthquake, an and we'll have Hold it on, recorded on video. Well, actually, I took Twitter off my phone. <laughs> Anyways, okay, that's it, everybody. Uh, see you next week. I don't know what the episode's going to be, but we'll, we'll, it might be an enneagram episode. Actually, nice. could be enneagram ones. Okay, bye. bye. <laughs>